0: Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the A to Z of Sex with me, Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. I am a psychologist and a sex and intimacy coach, and I have spent the last 30 plus years helping people to create and maintain meaningful relationships with sizzling sex without shame. We are working our way through the erotic alphabet one letter at a time. And today the letter is U, and U is for underfunded sex and relationship education services. So joining me to talk about this really sticky issue is justin hancock Hello. Justin hancock is a sex and relationship educator his latest book came out in january 2021 and is called can we talk about consent it's a book about freedom choices and agreement he's also the co-author of a practical guide to sex with meg, meg john barker he also created one of the leading relationship and sex education websites for young people BishUK.com, and hosts the podcast "Culture, Sex, and Relationships," which is for adults. Welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Oh, my pleasure. I mean, I just, I just love your work, and um, I think there are so few people who will talk about this topic. So, mm-hmm. the state of our education on <laughs> sex and relationship is diabolical, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I and mean, it's kind of getting worse in and- <laughs> In many respects. Um, The really annoying thing about it is that young people really want it. They really, really want it. They really want to learn the nitty-gritty about consent. They don't just want to be told, you know, what it is and why it's important. They want to learn tools about how to do it. They want to examine real-life experiences. They want it to be real and relevant. They're sick of it being so biological. And quite frankly, you know... For uh, a lot of young people nowadays, the sex education that they received is not going to be too far off what most adults receive. And whenever I run a training course with teachers, the first thing I ask them to think about is what was their own sex and relationships education like? And they say, well, we won't talk about consent. We won't talk about relationships. We were taught that pregnancy is bad, inevitable if you have sex, and it's the worst thing ever to happen to anyone um STI scare stories and like well things haven't changed a great deal so I guess that's what will the why's and the wherefores of this is what we will I guess what, what we'll cover but that's the kind of that is the headline news here and uh it's really frustrating <laughs> I'm very tired
0: <laughs> uh, yeah no I hear that I mean you know okay so um I'm older and um I remember what I got for sex education mm-hmm. which was basically here's how you prevent pregnancy because pregnancy is awful Mm -hmm. and here's how you prevent spds of course when i had sex education we didn't learn about aids because i had sex education in the 70s right wow um there was never um anything more when i went to graduate school the the courses on um the psychology of sex and relationships you know those things Mm -hmm. were pretty much heterosexual Mm -hmm. homosexual Mm -hmm. that's it (laughs) nothing else yeah um so it hasn't really changed. I know my son is now good. At, he'll be 19 soon. Mm-hmm. Remember when he was in year um 9, year 8 or year 9 was when they were about to mm. do this. I think it must have been maybe it was year 8, but um
1: yeah. so like 12 when, 13.
0: Yeah, so he went to a um uh, a private alternative school mm-hmm. and um the teacher who was teaching was still referring to sex as marital relations. Gosh. Yeah. And so I I offered I know, I know. So I offered and I said um listen, I'm I'm really happy to have a class for the students about relationships mm. and sex and and talk about consent and talk about you know the different kinds of ways people present and how they might identify. Mm. And I'll never forget, she said, well, we, go, we, give them, we give them relationships in year 10. They don't yeah. need it yet. In the meantime, I knew of at least um, one child who was identifying as non-binary, at least right. two who were identifying as gay, and at least three more who were already having sex. Right. With no information other than what they got off the internet.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that that rings really true. Um, the thing about this is, is that uh, whenever I complain about this, the thing that I'm really careful not to do is to blame teachers because you know, teachers are being asked to deliver, deliver this often without any training themselves. Not only are they often usually asked to, to deliver this without any training, they're being asked to deliver RSE, relationships and sex education, without even experiencing good RSE for themselves. So they, haven't mm-hmm. even, they don't even know what it feels like or looks like or what or or the fact that it is that it requires a very different kind of teaching method to how we might teach geography although actually some teachers of geography who are quite cool might disagree with that but we need to have this kind of approach which is much less hierarchical much more Mm -hmm. about small group work discussion thinking about much more experiential so thinking about our experiences and potential experiences and scenarios and it's really interesting as this is the you know when we do it right it's really interesting but also when we do it right the teacher the teacher's work is really just about really great facilitation and holding a space you know um but so i'm not critical of teachers but they just don't get the support and the reason they don't get the support is that it is not a high enough status subject within the school so rse yeah. comes under pshe personal social and health education it changes all the time and That's why I don't always keep up with absolutely everything the government says, because it changes and it's all meaningless. But it's very low status subject, And the job of the PSHE coordinator is a pretty thankless task. It feels like it's in quite a kind of a subverse kind of area because people always have this kind of imagined worry about what parents might think. Actually, parenthetically, I should say parents are very supportive of IRC on the most part. It's just that they don't like to not be informed. They prefer to be informed about what's happening and prefer to be involved. Um, but also, there's no extra pay often for the PSCC coordinator. It's not well resourced. There isn't enough space in the timetable. So that example that you gave about um, what's being talked about in Year Eight and they're going we're going to cover relationships in Year Ten is literally because there's probably not enough space in the timetable. Yep. Um, I think at the very least, there should be six weeks of it every single year in school, probably more. Uh, if you just look at my website, Bish UK, you'll see that it's like 400 articles on there about various different things. And there's loads of things I haven't covered yet. <laughs> um, so it, yeah. it is this kind of broader structural thing going on as well.
0: Well, and I think you know. So, I mean, I do. A, I've done a lot of court work over the years, family court work over the years, and I can't tell you the number of cases that were referred to me for suspicious um, suspicion of, of sexual abuse because a mm. child was masturbating mm. because mm. they didn't understand that actually we're sexual beings from the moment we're born, mm. and that there are certain stages of sexual development mm. that you would expect to see various types of behavior. Somebody wasn't well-educated about that. The social worker wasn't well-educated about that. A big brouhaha happened over perfectly normal behavior.
1: Yes, exactly. Well, that's the other thing. There's quite a nuanced thing there. You know, what we're seeing children doing isn't what children see they're doing. Children don't understand it to be sexual. They understand that, but they understand that it feels nice. And so work there is with the adults to get them to see, well, when they're seeing a child masturbating, it's not the same as an adult masturbating. Right that's where that work uh, really needs to happen. And that's just, it just so often doesn't happen.
0: Um, yeah, no. I, and and, and I've also found that depending on where you are, I mean, certainly the parents at the school my son went to, you know, many of them didn't want their kids to have any sex education. And it mm. was just like um, that, you know, we believe in abstinence. And I right. remember trying to sit down with these parents and saying, I am not criticizing your beliefs. And I think it's perfectly acceptable if you want to talk to a child about being abstinent until Mm -hmm. marriage. However, without the information, they get coerced. They're at risk because they don't have the information. They don't know what to look for in order to be able to make to give informed consent. Mm -hmm. They don't know what to look for at all because you're not giving them what they need. Not to mention what happens when they finally do get married and they've Mm -hmm. been given negative messages about sex Mm -hmm. from the time they were really small and now they're expected to flip a switch and be fine about sex, you Mm -hmm. know? But it it just was, it was so difficult Mm -hmm. dealing with the parents as well Mm -hmm. in my experience because Mm -hmm. they couldn't see the broader picture.
1: Well, was, I think this is the thing that they haven't received it. You know, it yes. has to be. And and the thing is, with that kind of engagement with parents it needs to happen over a long period of time with yes. committed, you know, organisation of the school and um, committed senior management team who are like, we're going to do this properly. And um, I, I don't want to sound too moany. So I'm going to say, you know, some schools do a brilliant job of this, but it is very much the minority of schools, but it is schools that put PSHE at the centre of their curriculum where the the senior management are, you know, give high status to the teachers delivering it and train them and resource them effectively, also happens that those schools often do just have better grades as a result. Because you know what happens when your when your kids experience um, consent and when they experience being able to talk about their values and when they feel like they're being treated well and where they feel like these are topics that they can raise in the school environment. Oh, they're happier kids and happier yeah. kids. <laughs> Do better at school. So, it, a part of this is to do with like a culture, uh, the whole culture of the school. And that whole culture of the school it extends out into the community, into the, with the stakeholders. And it means that that stuff, that work with parents happens not just at the odd parents' evening here and there where there's like a stand, but it's like really proactive and, you yeah. know, sending materials home and saying these are the things that we're going to cover. And then, you know, when parents get to see, um, you know, that part of good relationships and sex education, you know, we might talk about sexual readiness, or we might talk about the different reasons why people might have sex or the different meanings behind sex. Then parents might suddenly think, it's actually quite cool. And this includes my values. It's not driven by my values, but it includes my values. And so it allows everyone to be respectful of each other's values. And that's
0: absolutely to get to. So we will be back in a couple of minutes after some words from our sponsors and pick this up because this is a really interesting conversation. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit
2: Facebook.com forward slash Voice America.
1: Listen every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness.
3: On Anti-Aging Unraveled, host Dr. Lori Gerber features guests related to the field of integrative medicine and more specifically what she calls deconstructed medicine. Many symptoms that we think of as common and related to the aging process don't have to be issues. If you think outside the common treatment processes, you'll learn that integrative medical technology, new innovations and natural health can combine to help you age gracefully anti-aging unraveled listen wednesdays at 6 p.m eastern 3 p.m pacific on voice america health and wellness
2: we're with you wherever alexa and google are at home in the car on your smart tv and your connected devices
3: hey alexa hey google
2: play my favorite voice america podcast on TuneIn. it's just that easy but don't forget to make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work
0: Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the A to Z of Sex with me, Dr. Laurie Beth Bisbee. And this is part two of You is for Underfunded Sex and Relationship Education. I'm here with the incredible Justin Hancock. So before the break, you were saying that when um, parents are, are actively actively included in these conversations and they're given information prior to it being taught in school, that they actually become quite engaged yeah. because they can see they're being respected, their values are being respected, Right. And that there is a wider picture being taught, which is also my experience. Um, I, I find it quite frightening that we still don't mandate the teaching of consent. For me, I mean, I think they need to learn everything. But for me, that piece in, in our world mm. with, with the problems that are in our, our world, that, that piece still isn't. Something that's mandated. Well, it is now.
1: It is now mandated as of um pretty much this year. Uh, ah, okay. In, so in England, in English schools, and that's following. Um, and and so that's going to map on to and other parts of the UK too. However, there isn't enough in the guidelines. So the the government have basically updated the guidelines for relationships and sex, and ha- I'm not going to get into the weeds of this because it's so unnecessarily complicated but the basic overall thing is that the last time relationships and sex education guidelines were written was the year so the things that they the things that young people are being taught about consent are really too basic to be useful Um, it is the kind of um very basic ideas around uh, yes means yes no means no uh very legalistic kind of definitions of sex um where there is consent where there isn't consent Still, the language is there around um, it being on someone's response, or it being someone's responsibility to seek consent from the other rather than two or more people actively engaging in doing consensual things with each other and how they might do that. And it is framed as this kind of very narrow, often very unhelpful kind of. Um, narrative and so when on the occasions where I do go into school and say you know we're going to do let's do a workshop about consent immediately the young people's arms are folded they're sick of it they're bored of it the boys are kind of being the boys get the idea that they're being told that they're essentially rapists or would-be rapists and the girls are being told that they are victims or would-be victims or survivors and it just becomes it's become quite heteronormative and um, gender normative and recreates the gender normative scripts that we already have out in the world, which is really deeply problematic.
0: Well, and there's, also, no, yeah. there's no nuance. No. There's absolutely no nuance, but that's not a problem just in sex and relationships. No. You know, there's no nuance. And if they can't think with nuance, if they can't move with nuance, then it's useless.
1: Yeah. It yeah, so what I get people to do is I try to get in my book, Come Talk About Consent, I used lots of everyday examples, which are not to do with sex, but it's where we, we do this kind of complex, nuanced consent all the time. So if we're watching a TV show on Netflix with someone, you know, there's like just so much to choose from, although everyone apparently ends up just watching Friends, which is a very bad idea. We should never do that. But... um the so to choose from. If you're sitting with someone and you're going to watch something together, think about all the negotiation that goes on there just to decide what show you want to watch. So are we in the mood for a drama, a comedy, a thriller? Are there any films, anything we definitely don't want to see? Clowns, injections, you know, blood spurting. You know, so we have our kind of, you know, the things we definitely don't want. And then when we agree to watch a show, we notice whether the other person's enjoying it or not. So is, is someone enthusiastically watching the TV? Have they started looking at their phone? Are they just making yawning noises? Are they getting, going to the toilet a lot? And then we check in, is, pause it and say, you know, how's this going? Yeah, this is kind of boring. We could try something else or we could watch it, but I'll just watch my phone and take the piss out of it on Twitter. You know, there, we, we do this all the time. There's nothing so exceptional about sex that we can't think about sex in the same way. And there shouldn't be. I mean, there's a lot of shame and stigma around sex and we don't give uh, people the vocabulary around sex to be able to confidently ask for what it is that they want in the same way that they might ask never to watch Bridgerton because that is a terrible show and no one should ever watch that either. These are my tips for what not to watch on Netflix, everyone. Um, And so (laughs) uh, you're welcome. And so, um, but the, the thing is, is that this is, this is how I kind of approach it with young people. Or I might ask them to think about greetings, which is an activity, a physical activity that we do with people. and ask them to think about how consensual the handshakes and the hugs are and how we can bring in more consent around that stuff. And they love that. They, and they love getting to the it, grips of it. And they find it really interesting.
0: To be fair, adults do too. I mean, I, because I'm not, yeah. I, I do work with adolescents uh, sometimes depending on what's going on. But right now I'm doing, you know, more of my teaching with adults and I yeah. teach a risk assessment class. And um, and I also spend a good deal of time talking about consent in various environments, um, particularly around play and and around BDSM activity and things like yeah. that. And so, um, but we start with the real basics. It's like, okay, so let's talk about what's changed in the way you're going to greet people now, the way you want to greet people now after COVID, Right. Has anything changed? Yeah. Yeah. What are you looking for? How are you making your decisions? Um, yeah. What and what kind of conversations are happening? Because there's a lot more negotiation. It's become in my at least amongst the people I'm dealing with. It has now become a conscious activity and and a thought through activity whereas in the past it was mostly culturally bound and people didn't think through what they were doing therefore they didn't get consent because they weren't they were just acting on a script now they're actually thinking about it and talking about it so um you know how can we hug with and feel safe
1: well that's really interesting one because culture shifted around that but there wasn't such a strong cultural narrative around um greetings as there is for sex because literally the thing that we are taught in sex education is that this is embarrassing and it's shameful and we shouldn't be talking about it we are right. literally taught that right and so the although it might feel awkward to negotiate a greeting and this is something i'll bring up with young people you know it feels awkward it's not something you're supposed to do how do we navigate the power imbalance i don't want them want them to think bad of me we have all of that but plus our sex education has told us we shouldn't talk about this. But and then, you know, there's the gendered shame um, yep. and the homophobic shame and the biphobic shame and the transphobic shame and the racist shame that we all and the ageist shame and the you know and all the power imbalances. I don't want to kind of like throw all of these terms around, but um, and obviously they all intersect. But it is so in, in that way, it is um, it is a different. It is a different thing, but it's something that we ought to aspire to, and this is what sex education should do. It should aspire us to think about sex in the same way we might negotiate greetings differently nowadays, or how we might be, how we might all agree not to watch Friends ever again and agree to watch different, new, interesting things. And um, but the problem is the lack of funding to to get to, for the people to commit the time to be able to do that kind of work. And so that is a huge issue. Like whenever I'm invited into a school, it's literally just one lesson. Like, and so sometimes I might have thirty minutes, <laughs> uh, right? So, and they might not have had anything else that year. And to a certain extent, you know, it's difficult for me because I also need to get paid. You know, many of us who absolutely many of us who do. So the story of sex and relationships education in school, and the reason why underfunding is such an important issue is that this stuff used to be funded really pretty well. There used to be youth services that were very well funded. I came into this over 20 years ago with training in youth work in, uh, in the city where I'm from, where they gave me an amazing free training in youth work. And then I got trained to do relationships and sex education work with young men. And we set up projects doing outreach work and setting up, um, condom clinics and you know sexual health services uh for young people we had a team of people that were trained up and it was all over the city now not only does that team and those projects no longer exist the youth service doesn't exist right so all of the expertise just kind of after 2010 after austerity just started to cut and cut and cut and cut local authority cuts have had such a dramatic impact so now the schools who used to be able to rely on this work 15, 20 years ago, don't have any backup. So literally the schools are just out there and they, they not only don't have the free stuff, but they, they have to pay for people to come in. So their budgets are straightened and so they can only pay for so many hours and they can't pay for training. And a lot of the trainers who existed in the field have now gone on to do something else, you know, like retrained as counsellors and stuff, which I might have to do. <laughs> and so that's the, that's the overall picture. And so this thing about... This is a deeply political issue. It's one of the many reasons where, you know, it's one of the many areas where relationships and sex education and, you know, our broader kind of, the broader topics that is sex, relationships, gender, sexuality, um, they are deeply political. And this is deeply political. It, these are, it, it's it's cultural and it's political. And those cuts were ideological and didn't need to happen. And it's had these effects. And people don't talk about it very much because, that's we were taught not to talk about these things got it what happens if we're in public and you know there's no protests around this you know if you put things on social on instagram even about this you might your post might get taken down it's so it's, I, I, uh, it's a real i want to come
0: back to that okay yeah. so we're going to take a quick break we'll be back um after some words from our sponsors i want to pick that up because i think mm-hmm. that's really important
1: We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live, wherever you go, on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market.
3: There is a difference in health and wellness programs. There can be mainstream programs, and then there is something extra. That something extra is called tips to keep you healthy, happy, and motivated, with your host, Kristen Harper. Listen Thursdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Health & Wellness.
2: We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But don't forget to make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work.
0: Hey everyone, welcome back to the A to C of Sex with me, Dr. Laurie Beth Bisbee. This is segment three. On you is for underfunded sex and relationship education. I'm with Justin Hancock. And just before the break, you were talking about the fact that this is deeply political um, and, how, and, and also the shame element that adds into this. And I mean, I've been fundraising because I'm creating a platform at the moment. This is for adults. Mm-hmm. Um, where it's sex positive. It's a virtual safe space. There's going to be forums. There's there's a part of it's an event platform where you can hold virtual events. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason that I've been doing this is because I got fed up with, with my stuff being taken down mm-hmm. and being censored. It, the censorship's gotten so bad that um, TikTok and Facebook go into private messages. It's not in you know, public spaces. They remove things from direct messages. Gosh. Right. So now they're actually now they're actually in your private business, even more so. They were in your private groups ages ago, but mm. people tend to ignore that. Now they're in your private business. Mm. So I have a private group where people would normally like to ask questions. And sometimes I get emails from people. And it's like, I'd love to talk about this in the group, but I'm afraid who's going to see it. Right. And right. I can't reassure them and say only us, right? Yeah. Because I don't know who's seeing it. It's not a bot because bots can't go into, you know, what would they do? They would be uniform if it was a bot. Everybody always blames it on AI, but if it was all AI, it would be uniform. Mm. Nobody would get past it with certain posts, mm. but it's very variable. Mm. Um, so it just reinforces the shame around this. It's, and it's getting worse rather than better since SESTA-FOSTA mm. in the U.S., it's just progressed. And now, of course, yeah. we're looking at um, some law changes here that people aren't talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I, I mean, it, it frightens me because I think it's just going to get worse here. And that leaves people with no viable spaces for good education, yeah. like yeah. facts, like they, they're, they're even, even facts aren't out there. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. And this is something, you know, since all of these cuts came in, I used to do way more work in person. I used to work at a young people's clinic and the funding for that was cut despite it being fantastically successful. We used to do a lot more kind of outreach in schools. The reason that I set Bishop, my website, um, is because I had to shift online because all my other work was ending. But then the work of all of this online is so challenging. Like I do get, you know, I'll be working with over a million young people a year on on bish like a million individual young people from around the world a third of whom are from the uk and so i'm getting thousands of hits a day and they are googling for the things that the questions they're not getting asked in school and they are finding my website so to a certain extent they're using the i'm reliant on well, i'm heavily reliant on the google algorithm seeing what i do as educational and not yep. pornographic I'm not right? not pornographic um and so it and and this the same goes for any social media work that I do, and it's incredibly difficult doing sex education on social media, particularly for teens. It's really, really hard, almost, almost impossible. Well, and <laughs> that's
0: that's why I'm not developing. I was originally going to have a space for teens because I deal because because I get questions. I get lots of questions from teens all over the place, mm. um, and particularly around because I specialize in gender, sex, relationship, diversity. So mm-hmm. I get questions around polyamory. I get questions around, I also do work, um, do some work with gender GP. So I'll say questions around transition. I get questions around um, uh, BDSM and kink and desires that I'm, I'm ashamed of or embarrassed about. I don't have a name for yeah. it, It's essential information for teens, mm-hmm. yeah. absolutely essential. But if I talk about teens, the rest of my work goes down too. And yeah. it's so difficult because there's no space where it is seen as acceptable mm-hmm. to say, you know, people from 11 to 18 need this information. Mm-hmm. Here's a place that we can label education. Mm-hmm. Therefore, they can go and get that information. It's just not there. And I, it's. I feel awful about it. But part of what I ended up doing was scaling down that part of what I was doing because I was doing that for free and it was impacting my paid work right, of in a really yeah. negative way. And if I can't make a living, I can't make a living. Right. I have yeah. to be able to make a living. Exactly. And I, I don't know how you, how do you manage on your website? I mean, you do such amazing work, but that's not paying your bills.
1: Um, well, it is, it, it can pay my bills. So um, uh, it has been sponsored by Jurex. And so it has been like a part-time job for me, uh, like a couple of right. days a week. I have a Patreon as well, patreon.com forward slash yeah. UK, uh, that people could support. Um, but it has it's uh, really, it's a very small one. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, so I have been lucky to get some sponsorship to do that. Uh, the status of that is very much up in the air at the moment. I don't think they're going to continue sponsoring it at, at the moment. So I am going to have to do a big Patreon. Um, drive. I know that uh, Scarletine, the other really good uh, English language website for young people have to, you know, every year they have to kind of do this fundraising drive and it's incredibly mm-hmm. difficult for all the reasons we talked about. But um, I wouldn't be able to do it if it didn't pay the bills because it's a lot of work. You know, I have
2: yeah.
1: answering young people's questions and rewriting a lot of the articles, updating articles, um, keeping it kind of Google- ship you know google worthy so you have to do a lot of work to keep your to keep the to keep google happy it's uh, it's really yeah. weird
0: yeah um, so it can be found yeah, exactly if you're not yeah. doing if, if you're not if you're not doing the work that you need to in terms of their algorithms then all the stuff you do is tip for naught because you can't be found
1: exactly like if i'm not on the first page for uh, how to have sex which i believe i am at the moment then it's there's no point but, yeah, it's really great that young people are Googling how to have sex and many of them are finding that page every day. And that page is full of stuff about consent and sexual diversity and, you know, and uh, you know that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, it's really hard. We get very little help from people and the underfunding continues over into the online world too. Um, because also the kinds of things that I am able to say at my website, the kinds of things that young people are asking me about, government-funded things, funding wouldn't touch this with a barge pole because it is explicitly not sex negative. I don't also, I try to avoid being overwhelmingly sex positive too. I think sex, po- sex positivity has a lot of problems but it, it's, it, it kind of navigates these, you know it is neither sex negative nor sex positive but it just getting young people to think about the messages that they receive around sex in the world and giving them tools to be able to navigate those and for them to to give to resource them and to serve them with the tools and information they need to have ethical, consensual, safer, enjoyable sex and relationships. Really? And I mean, so, so for
0: me, for me, sex positivity is not about yes, we should all go have sex. Mm. It's about the possibility. It's about a lack of negativity towards the topic of sex and relationships. Yeah. So, which is a slightly different than what the sex positivity movement tends to be. Yeah. Um, It's a more nuanced. Again, I'm, I'm big into nuance. It's a nuanced Mm -hmm. approach. I want people to have the space to make good the space and the tools and the information they need to make good decisions for them. Sure. Yeah. And that's, that's the bottom line. And in order to do that, they really need education. Mm -hmm. And I I mean, I, most of the adults I run into need good sex and relationship Mm -hmm. education. Uh, I'm amazed at how many adults really don't understand consent. Mm. Yeah. it's really yeah. quite quite frightening um
1: yeah how Just, many they, kind, don't. they kind of don't really even understand how they might experience it as well I think and I think that's the that's this is the thing that I will give do you with a good, good
0: example I'll give you a good example yeah. on Instagram and um people DM me all the time that I don't know mm-hmm. some some person connected with me fine and one of the places where You know, all the people that I always look at, if somebody's connecting with me, I don't follow them back unless I can see who they're following. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Right. But this person was connected with Wheel of Consent um, and a bunch of other like reputable sources about sex and relationships. And so I was like, oh, okay, I'll follow you back. So he sent me um, first, he sent me a, a DM last night, pages and pages of what he'd like to do and how so, he'd like to be yeah. with me i don't know this person from adam didn't say hello didn't I... start by getting any anything even approaching consent so mm. i my response was to say it, it really shocks me you, you follow all these sources that talk about you know detailed consent mm. and you know cons- you know creating a consent climate and you haven't even asked me if i want to receive any information from you no you know And he was just went on sending me stuff. And of course I blocked him. I had another one 1230 last night, 1230 last night. Videoed me from tried to video call me from Facebook again, somebody I've never met before. Right. I mean, even basic stuff like that, just basic, you know, it's not sexual. That's just a, you know, a human to human communication. Right they may have that just wanted the, to say hello
1: yeah I think there are kind of broader topics there as well that we kind of need to cover because I think that I think that however much we taught uh people like that people doing those kinds of things about consent ultimately there uh, it's to do with power and entitlement and uh-huh. um and uh and only seeing and un- they're only being Having this kind of uh, austere zero-sum game view of rights and power and agency means that if you have, if you take some away from someone else, you have more. And so yes. that's, and this is the kind of thing that we don't, that we don't, that young people don't get to grips with in school, which would be super interesting. But it is basically. You know, it's a form of bullying and a form of violence. Yes. And so people might even be very good at talking the language of consent and using, you know, what they, what sounds like quite, you know, up to date terminology. But unless they're doing it, unless they're practicing it, then they don't understand it at all and they don't want to understand it. Sometimes I think that people there may be a risk that people might kind of um weaponize their intellectual knowledge about something as a way for them to disavow the kinds of things that they're doing on its personal basis and i think that's a real issue
0: oh kitty striker talks about that a lot
1: right okay uh,
0: right you know um and 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 you know she's right you know she talks about that a lot that you yeah. know particularly when you look at some of the alternative communities sure. where there's a lot so. more talk and training about consent that just because somebody's gone through the training and can speak the language doesn't necessarily mean that they actually employ the behavior. Right. Um, and that, and, and she talks quite a bit about the, the people who do weaponize this, mm-hmm. which education isn't going to deal with, but if you've got education, the people who might become the victims of that right. also right. have education. Yeah,
2: so there are right some out. people
0: whose behavior is going to yeah. be bad anyway, but if, if you, if, if the people that they're targeting don't have the education, they're far more at risk.
1: Totally.
0: So this is so. I mean, given that this is political, what do we do to get this more funded? What do we do to get this on the agenda?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. I think we need to do um, coalition building. I think it has to be. There's the the possibility for it to be alongside all of the other things that cuts to local authorities have massively affected. The other thing here, as well, is that there has to be much greater concern about cuts to young people's services generally, which there hasn't been. And uh, you know, young people don't have enough advocates. We live, we still live in a time where young people aren't treated with respect in uh, in the kind of popular common sense stories we have around young people and the media narratives we have around young people. They're not treated as agents with, but actually. And not to put too much of a burden on young people, but you know the the look at the age of of the protesters, you know, um, for whatever cause we're talking about, you know, BLM, anti-transphobia uh, marches, pro-trans trans healthcare marches, um, uh, uh, violence against women marches, um, the kill the bill marches, you know, like the huge numbers of young people there, and so. I think that it's about standing in solidarity around all those things but also it has to be this kind of it has to be pushing pushing against these ideas of there is only so much money and local authorities have to has to spend their money wisely because and local authorities need more money and the problem is is that when local authorities are, are said, okay, we're only going to, you know, we're going to cut your budgets to the bone. What they'll do is to take from the kinds of services that I, we've been talking about and we'll do things like, you know, fill in the roads and have more bin collections because they're the things that voters want. So actually what voters need to do is say, well, actually, what I want are some more youth services, thanks. Or, you know, what happens to all these outreach programs? And so it's about being really vocal about those kinds of things and treating those things as being, political and it's about seeing that kind of broader how we act in solidarity and in coalition and with others which we need to do and we asked starting to see signs of it i think if you'd have asked me this question two years ago i'd be like Ugh, i honestly don't know what we're doing you know we're, we're all living in atomized you know as individuals floating around and actually i'm starting to have be a bit more hopeful about this stuff but we have to kind of keep pushing and um but yeah, find out about your local youth services, like how, how much have they been cut, find, you know, if you're interested in sex and relationships, try finding out what's happened to your local sexual health outreach teams and local authorities. Um, I got to,
0: you know, I, I just, when you say that, I'm thinking about it because I've been here 31 years now. Mm. I live here, you know, I live in the UK longer than I lived in the US. Um, so I've been here 31 years. And I remember when I first came here that there were youth services like specific youth services and I remember um, you know w- at least within the first ten years that I was here, when I was doing family court work I- interfacing with the youth services it was like mm. an integral part of what we ended up doing whenever we had adolescents who were um, the subject of, of any kind of proceedings then mm. we we interfaced with youth services and there was quite a lot of support out there yeah. um, and then if I look at the last five years, there's nothing yeah. compared to what there was. Um, so that is actually, that's really a big deal in terms of getting that mm-hmm. funded. The other thing is, is that people often don't realize that what happens with local authorities is that budgets are specific to a thing. So they, they can, when they do the big budget, mm-hmm. they can take from youth services and put it for filling roads. But once that's set down,
1: mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Once yeah. it's set down, the budget is, for the year is set. And so X service has this amount of money. Mm-hmm. Let's say they have 5 million over here. Mm. If they don't use the 5 million the following year, they're not going to get 5 million. Yeah. So at the end of the year, people will throw money at things and there's no transferring back and forth between mm-hmm. budgets. And so you can't say like, even though you may have seven departments within your so- social services, mm. which I think is where the youth work falls under that broad, you know, health and social care bit, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. even though you may have 5 million left in somebody else's budget Mm. and they could do with it, you can't transfer that without lowering that other your services budget for the next year. It's very complicated. um, And it makes it, it's very rigid. It's inflexible. And so Mm -hmm. therefore there would be ways of doing this. If, if, They were willing to think in a more flexible manner, Mm -hmm. which requires, you know, less levels of management and less separate departments. And um, I mean, I I give the example, there is a law firm that I know who all they do is collect late fees and interest from local authorities who pay small businesses late. That is, they make their living taking 10% of those fees Mm -hmm. because- so rarely do local authorities pay people on time,
2: Mm
0: -hmm. right? I mean, it's just, which is ridiculous. It should not be that way. They shouldn't end up having to spend more money of small budgets Mm -hmm. paying people interest and fees because they don't have an efficient enough system to pay people on time. I mean, so it's stuff like that where there's, it's very rigid and the money is divorced from the people who are planning the services And the people who use the services makes it that much harder.
1: Yeah, completely agree.
0: And I don't know, you know, I don't know how we change that culture. I think changing that culture is really difficult. You know, I think you're right. I think we need to be letting people know that this is important to us, Mm -hmm. that this is as important as bin collections.
1: I think there are some important things that we can do that are political, but with a lowercase p as well. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I think that, you know, sharing websites like mine, for example, every sh- every time you can share a website like mine, it's gold because people don't share things on social media around sex and relationships, particularly aimed at young people. So, if dear listener, you can share any of any of my posts that you see anywhere online, please, please do, do because you're doing I'm doing me a massive favour, and also obviously if you have the if you have the means to be able to financially support us, that's even better. But also how can we build in different ways of doing it? How can we equip young people to be able to do this kind of work, but on like an informal peer education level? So, you know, if we can, if you do know young people, if you have kids who are interested in stuff, you could take some of the resources that I've created from my website. I've got like a teach yourself sex ed uh, module Mm -hmm. that I've just created at my website. You could use those in small groups and then use those to kind of informally teach other young people that, that they know to do this kind of these kind of networks, these pods of, 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 um, of sex education and to to kind of also not to be a complete bummer as well, is that although young people are crying out for a certain sex education in school um, and there are lack of youth services now in, in most in many, if not most areas, um, that young people are getting really well informed. Like they, when and whenever I work with young people every year, they're more and more interested in consent, they are more and more interested in gender diversity, and they're getting more interested in learning some of the nitty gritty about this stuff. Um, and so they are getting this from somewhere. Obviously, some young people will be getting it from my website, or Scarlettine, or, or other places, but they are talking to each other about this stuff. So I don't want to be in, in you know, a complete downer, but that is in lieu of this work being properly funded and properly
0: absolutely uh, delivered okay so we um, are going to take one more short break and we'll be back with the last segment see you in a couple of minutes
3: follow us on twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's Voice America TRN.
0: Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the A to Z of Sex with me, Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. And this is part four of you is for underfunded sex and relationship education. And I'm back with Justin Hancock. And we were talking just before the break about the fact that kids are finding this information. Mm -hmm. Um, They are better informed despite the fact that the services are underfunded, but we don't want to rely on that. Mm -hmm. Um, And the other thing is, is that for every child that is finding the information, it, from good places and good information, there's equally one who is yeah. finding the, the wrong information and passing that on to their peers.
1: Yeah, big time. Um, which always concerns me. Yeah, it's a massive concern of mine. And also, not even kind of wrong information, but uh, unhelpful messages or mm-hmm. the kinds of, the kinds of information which is grounded in some unhelpful norms can be a real problem. There's one example of this, which uh, I often talk about. This might have changed, but it it was, I've not looked at it for a couple of, for a year or two now, but there was a, on the NHS, one of the NHS website, uh, on the NHS website, on one of their pages for young people, they talk about first time sex and they say, if you're a girl, if you're a woman, you should expect it to be painful for the first time. And I've written to them so many times to try to get them to change this. Um, Cause it's
0: not necessarily, it's not necessarily true. No. And also,
1: yeah, yeah. It creates the, it, it creates this very low expectation. It's a self-fulf- self-fulfilling prophecy and they didn't then go on to explain how we make first time penis and vagina sex or sex toy and vagina sex or fingers and vagina sex pleasurable and how we, or at the very least how we might avoid pain, which, you know, I do a lot of that at my website and So, I think it's uh, there's a Canadian study which found that around half of young women's first time intercourse experiences are painful. The Natsal study found from 2011 found that one in 10 young women regularly have painful sex. The messages that this all sends out, and as well as the messages around what sex is, and this idea from sex education that sex is only one thing, sends out incredibly damaging messages to everyone. Particularly young women, like think, just think about how grim the messages are. That it's it's gonna, it's probably gonna hurt. Um, this is the only sex that you should try to do, uh, and this is the only thing that really counts. And so, the whole of, there's no good delivering sex and relationships education, which that has that at its centre, and then doing like an add-on consent lesson. If you're not gonna critique that and encourage young people to critique that wherever they see it, and this is this is an idea which is hegemonic, you know, and these are ideas that we've had in our culture for at least a thousand years, possibly, yep. possibly for longer. Um, unless we start to, unless our sex education, gives young people the critical thinking to be able to critique that and to follow that line in the way that I just did. It's not going to be consensual. It's not going to be equipment to do anything near pleasurable. But,
0: but unfortunately, here's a bit, which is I don't think we teach them to think critically at all anymore. Mm. I mean, when when I went to school, critical thinking was a big part of, of, I mean, down to having classes in it, but it was a big part of education. Mm. You know, you were taught to go to original sources, for example. You were taught to critique original sources. Um, I had a very intense conversation with Mama Viola Johnson about this um, some time ago on a podcast mm. um, because uh, she was talking about the projects now to digitize things where, you can't go to an original source anymore because original sources were being destroyed. So wow. when okay. things were changed, you wouldn't be able to know that things were changed. And we were talking about how dangerous it is that, that people don't learn to think critically mm-hmm. and don't learn to examine. And, and I, we don't teach that anymore. That's, I mean, at least certainly from what I see when I, when I speak with young people, that's not the way they're taught. Um, I mean, I, I, don't,
1: I guess I don't have an, know enough about it to have an opinion about anything other than relationships and sex education, but I do think that there is a massively missed opportunity when, you know, if young people getting, you know, poultry lessons, you know, and being shown how to use a condom on a banana and that's it, and where where actually, you know, if someone's teaching English literature and they're not talking about love and trust and heartbreak and desire and um our feelings about our gender then what i mean then what are they teaching right and that's right. all relationships and sex education or if we're right. doing any so the uh, if we're teaching history and we're just teaching i would we're not just teaching people dates in history right anymore no
0: we're teaching no and there and so if we're teaching the stories then we are, we have the opportunity to be teaching this too
1: exactly yeah
0: that's what we would expect we would want them to be teaching this,
1: yeah, and so too often the level of sex and relationships education you know, the the level we're at is you know learning dates, learning when the spinning Jenny was invented you know and and that's it rather than how in the vital importance of that in relation to class and industry and or you know and uh labor power uh yeah i'm uh, going off on another political topic come back to no, sex and I relationships, understand. but um so that's the level we're at often with sex and relationships education here are some key facts you need to learn actually no we don't need the key facts we need to be able to situate this and make sense of it in
0: our lives yes absolutely and so on that note i want to thank you for joining me because this has been brilliant where can people find you if they have questions for you
1: Uh, If you head to my website, bishuk.com, and there is an Ask Bish section there where uh, you can ask me uh, questions about work, I guess, but also particularly if you're a young person listening to this and you want a question that I've not already answered on the website. I've answered a lot of questions on the website, but you can ask me there. Um, I'm on Twitter at Bish Training. Um, I've got too many Twitter accounts, uh and you can also find the Patreon patreon.com forward slash Bish UK if you would like to support it anything like a pound a month would be wonderful um even just for a bit and then that will help me to
0: do more so yeah brilliant so guys um next week we're for V I'm not going to reveal what it is but it'll be V (laughs) You know, we are still fundraising for this creation of the safe space. Um, if you are interested in taking part and helping out, you can still go to the crowdfunder page, it's crowdfunder.co.uk, create a safe virtual space or put Bisbee in there and you will find it. If you put my name in there, um, do remember to go over to Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee and check out what events are coming up and, um, The Facebook group gets the first information about all events and it's free. So you can just head over to Facebook and sign up under groups forward slash Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. Please be safe. Have a fantastic week. And I look forward to seeing virtually anyway, and speaking with all of you next time.